I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I am the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I have a supremely special guest joining me in actually someone else who's also from Australia. This man is someone that I've looked up to for many, many years and has actually inspired me a lot to build what I've built myself. So Matt Legg, welcome to the show, man. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So Matty, do you want to let my listeners know a little bit about, you know, I guess maybe how we connected and then also your journey? Yeah. Well, I don't know so much about my journey. It was just, I was a naturopath originally, but um, I was always fascinated about the reading and the the case studies more. I I used to research every case a lot, and try to work out new stuff. Like everything was a learning experience. I started compounding a lot of my own supplements in my clinic rather than just using the products that were available. And I found a lot of those ingredients would work better. But, you know, just with different synergies that were more personalized for the person. But, I mean, we get capped, you know, with how many people we can see per hour. We can only help so many people. So I started getting more into the formulating and educating, hopefully being able to help more people per hour through, you know, sharing information and making other products are available. So they made ATP Science, the ATP Project podcast, did a lot of seminars and stuff like that through there. And now I'm taking a step back from the corporate life sort of thing. Things get a little bit boring. and <laughs> No, no, they're cool. It just gets heavy, you know. So that's not my style. I prefer to just kind of keep excited. I live for the eureka moments of when we make you know, cool discoveries. Just like learning new things and then just sharing it as much as possible um, rather than getting bogged down in meetings. And So I disappeared for a little while and then... Yeah, I did a lot of the experimenting on myself and that sort of stuff as well, which has been really fun. And then, like you said, you know, did the podcast through that. I managed to access a lot of people compared to sitting underneath my parents' place in North Queensland, which is where I used to run my clinic from. And now have the opportunity to kind of keep chatting to people like yourself, which is kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's amazing. Um, for those who are listening in, Matt is someone who I think has 
an incredible amount of knowledge when it comes to understanding the intricacies around herbal extracts and supplementation. So Matt, how did you fall in love with, I guess, um, naturopathy? I was a real sick kid myself with asthma and eczema and really fat and stuff as well, and always had the learning and behavioral disorders, conformity or compliance disorders, perhaps. <laughs> so, um, and it was funny because my grandfather's a real bushy and he, uh, he actually taught me how to make a calendula cream. So we went out in the backyard and we grew the marigold flowers and mashed them up and made like a calendula cream that fixed my eczema better than the cortisone creams. And mum bought me a royal jelly ginseng conic for my asthma, which really, really helped. Right up until the time they said that you're an asthmatic, you can't take royal jelly, and then they wouldn't let me have this stuff that helped me. And that's where I started getting passionate about it. I always wanted to be Bush Tucker man. That's why I started doing naturopath. Honestly, I wanted to be able to go through the scrub and just find herbal medicine, which I can't do, unfortunately. <laughs> that's my next mission. And I used to get, I was really fascinated by a lot of the indigenous medicine and what the Aboriginal elders would tell me and you know, that sort of stuff up north. I got really caught up in that. And then I got really excited about the potential of creating, you know, like medicine straight from the land and more of a first aid kit originally. But then I just got so excited about the, uh, you know, the biochemistry, the pathways, the mind mapping. And when I'm talking about mind mapping, you know, even just, when I was in the naturopath clinic, I used to have massage tables there. You now I get massage, it bored me a bit too, you know. So I used to get butchers, I'd go down to the newspaper and get the end rolls of the newspaper and cover the massage tables with that and have all my coloured felt pens and do all my mind maps trying to work out my customers. And it was so funny because I used to like stay up late at night and I'd get so excited researching this case that affects one and who knows you know, very rare case that no one researches and I, I just get fascinated by it. And then, you know, having my big eureka moments in the middle of the night, you know, fist pumping, I'm loving it, so excited. I think I've worked something out. And then I'd sit there with all of these documents and papers and mind maps and present it to my, you know, 80-year-old Maltese cane farm and grandmother with a rare condition that no one else in Australia has who doesn't actually care, you know, and then you're like, oh, you know. And then you try to take it, you just, you know what I mean? As I, I got so caught up with that, being so excited about discovering mm. the weird shit. And then when I could actually go buy those raw materials and then bring them in-house and make them myself, that did make a massive difference with, you know, my understanding of the different types of extracts, how they relate. Because, you know, it really bugged me as I used to read a lot of these papers. And then I'd go and search for these materials. I'd find them in an existing product. I'd buy the product in and use it, and it just wouldn't work the way the papers would work. And that really bugged me, and that's where I started researching more into how did they design the study, who designed the study, and why did they do the study, you know, what was the actual material used, to the point that I was that weird kid, again, from North Queensland that would email and call up the actual author in the paper, you know, and I'll be getting onto some Chinese hospital and they'd be running around trying to get someone that could speak English that would answer my questions. And then they'd put me onto the, the person that they got the herbs from. And that sort of, I'd go full detective. I had no idea that that's not what people normally did. I just kind of got excited about, I just wanted a, uh, a result, you know, so, and that fired me up. I got really excited. And then when that particular individual didn't really care so much or their doctor disagreed or they hadn't yet seen that on the news or in at the, the flyer at the chemist, you know, I was must have been weird. So that's when I thought, oh, bugger, I just got to tell more people, you know, and started doing, you know, the podcasting and stuff to try to tell other people. So hopefully someone will find some use out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy just to think about, you know, that, um, that sort of approach there, like we – we have that in common. We just love that sense of discovery. And I think the other week we had a discussion around, you know, one man's medicine is another man's poison. So do you want to sort of, you know, elaborate on that theme there? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the main things, you know, like when you have a look at these studies, they, they get rid of non-responders. They try to get the papers, you know, to get the right type of result that they want. And that really fascinated me. And in fact, there's been some phenomenal papers over the years that I've learned so much from due to their failures. Well, they're perceived failures, but there's no failure in science. 
Like you either learn or you have a win, you know. Um, so the cool thing is, is I learned a lot through those papers of why didn't those people respond. And that's what got me passionate. Initially, I was looking more at uh, cytochrome P450 systems and, and other aspects of epigenetics and genetic expression to see how, and, you know, got caught up with that bioavailability and pharmacokinetics of the chemicals. And then all of a sudden we had that era, that decade where they went and researched the microbiome. And that just changed absolutely everything. You know, the thought that we have our own genetic material and our epigenetic expression that, I mean, that changes a lot in response to stress and that, but definitely doesn't change anywhere near as quickly as the microbiome. And one of the main reasons why one man's medicine is another man's poison is specifically relating to that microbiome. You know, for example, you know, like uh, nootropics or pre-workouts, nootropics in particular, they're one of the things that really spins me out because I can give one compound to one person, the same compound to another and have almost opposite effects. And then I can see, yeah, it, it really spins me out. You look at things like choline or carnitine, you know, that we look at these ingredients that might support certain neurotransmitters. You know, we, we take choline and carnitine to increase acetylcholine and dopamine so that way we're smarter. You know, and we also know carnitine supports fat burning. It's a great source of fuel and all that sort of stuff. So we look at them in that aspect. And then choline, we, we're talking about ingredients like betaine, you know, which is trimethylglycine. We're looking at alpha-GPCs, um, lesser thins of phosphatidylcholines, all these famous ingredients to make people smart. Now, if you have the wrong type of microbiome, not even the wrong, that's a bit arrogant of me to say that there's right and wrong, but if you have a particular microbiome profile, they hijack that carnitine and choline that should make you smarter, should help you with your energy and should make you have nootropic effects. The wrong bugs will actually convert it to TMAO, which will make you smell like fish and cause hardening in the arteries and eventually Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, to think exactly the same raw raw ingredients could go down either pathway and has almost opposite effects. And then I get all excited because then I realise that these herbs that they say can't possibly work because they don't get absorbed. But we know they have these amazing effects on our brain and our heart and everything like that. And then you realise, oh, those things are working on the microbiome. And then I get even more excited when I realise that we already knew this that's why we used to marinate our food in those things to stop them smelling fishy, you know, and going off because that was the microbes converting the choline and carnitine that made it smell bad. Um, when we eat it, if we have those microbes in our gut, then we actually build up inflammatory atherosclerotic plaque forming chemicals as opposed to amazing things that make us feel smarter. Now that can totally change the same ingredient. That's why they say, in one study, we talk about these things being great for us. And then the next study, they say, don't eat eggs. It's going to cause heart disease. And you're like, oh, but what if I added some dill and capers and other bits and pieces to my eggs that happen to be high polyphenols that will change the pathway? You know what I mean? And that's where we get beyond one man's medicine, another man's poison, start looking at synergy and how to find ways of you know, making it work in most people or working out why it works in one and not the other and having a look at the microbiome as well as the cytochrome p450 systems as well as genetic expression and that Mm. sort of stuff so yeah that thing messed me up and then you know it messed me up more posture then i started freaking out about posture and like facial expressions and and all that weird stuff because what i realized is i could be and i read one of your posts too you were talking about facial expressions that may be linked in with mood states and stuff like that it is so full on, man, because I could go and give you all these amazing chemicals to drive, you know, acetylcholines and dopamines and that. But then if your traps are locked in, if your head's sticking forward all the time, if you're sitting on the balls of your feet and your toes are like gripped into the ground, then your brain thinks you're about to punch someone and run, regardless of how much fun you're having or what supplements you've got your body will switch your neurotransmitters to be survival mode because the vast majority of signals go into your brain at that point in time. 
suggest that you might be under threat rather than spending a good time to meditate, relax, you know, short-term memory, concentration span, study, probably not a good time for that. Probably our body's suggesting we're under stress, we should probably run. So those same pathways can just be hijacked and taken down another way. So the more we learn, the more we realise we get into everything so holistic that you can't specialise, you know, at all. So, Yeah, and I remember I think a long time ago you mentioned around, was it the gin sinicides? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to explain that amazing sort of, yeah. Well, you'll see the gin sinicides are involved in a lot of the as you're talking about pre-workout supplements or eutropics or tonics and that sort of stuff. So ginsengs, gynostemma is another, the poor man's ginseng um, and that sort of stuff. A lot of those things actually work through those exact mechanisms. So they will actually work when someone takes carnitine or choline by themselves, it could go down the TMAO pathway. These little suckers help to control it, to go down the right pathway where it helps our support, our brain function and our performance. And, hey, the other thing that they're noticing is the same bugs, and this is where I love it. It all starts to make sense. And then we go back to, oh, shit, we just go do you know, the smart stuff, you know, eat well and be healthy. Because what you'll find is they're also involved in the, the nitrite-reducing microbes. I don't know if you remember they had those studies with uh, the fruit and vegetables full of nitrates. They helped to vasodilate through nitric oxide. And then what they did is they gave these people mouthwash after the, they so they gave them beetroot juice to, and then they gave them mouthwash antimicrobial mouthwash and they found that without the microbes in the mouth they can't actually activate the nitrites and that's where you're finding other ginsenicides that have got a great, great reputation for vasodilation as well as cognition they actually work on the tmao pathways as well as regulating the nitrates so that way you've got good nitric oxide vasodilation to support that and it's funny because we're seeing a lot of the things that are good for the brain, are good for the heart, and it's always been the case. We always knew the foods and the diet that was good for the heart was also good for the brain, and we're finding good circulation, um, good antioxidant defence, or, man, not even antioxidants. This is where I get all caught up because then it just leads into the next thing, like lactic acid. You know, lactic acid is one of the most fascinating compounds of all because if you look at lactic acid as a cognition, and we know exercise is good for you, so, so far, we're already thinking we've got our cholines, we've got our carnitines that we can get through our diet, meat or plants, whatever we choose, as long as we have good levels of polyphenols that are going to help to regulate those pathways. So that might include our ginsenicides, that might include our other, you know, flavonoids and that sort of stuff. There's so many, you know. Yeah, all of a sudden, it starts to make sense of where all these things fit in and why they all exist. So far, we get the choline, the carnitine, the polyphenols and the herbs, and all already we're starting to get a particular pathway of happening you know, before we start our exercise. Have a look at your posture. There's no point exercising and do our exercise with angst and aggression, psycho musics and stuff, and then trying to get into study to be smart and healthy because our body thinks we're under attack and that sort of stuff, and that's not good for learning. That's good for using but not good for learning, you know. So then we think about posture. Then we think about our nervous system. We've already covered our gut. And then what happens is we want to build up a bit of lactic acid and then all of a sudden we know when we have that tension and we have that little bit of soreness and that sort of stuff from that lactic acid, we know when we're, we're maintaining our physical form through exercise, we are better. Lactic acid's fascinating. If you keep enough lactic acid, what happens is, is it washes out into our extracellular spaces, you know, the interstitial fluids and that sort of stuff. And as you get enough lactic acid hovering, you know, you know, the space between your blood and your cells that we know bugger all about that. You know, we probably know more about outer space than that. Um, but in that area, lactic acid can accumulate and it tells the body that you have new priorities. It tells the body that, man, we've got to keep some of those sugar for our brain and for our nerves and our immune system. And the, the skeletal muscle then can use the lactic acid as a source of fuel. Skeletal, uh, lactic acid, really important for imprinting memory. It's really amazing neurotransmitter effect. Plus, it can also support fat burning, which is interesting. It can turn white fat brown, bright beige or whatever they want to call it, depending on whether they're combining bright brown and white to call it bright. Isn't that funny? Anyway, um, so lactic acid, will 
basically help your body to preserve ketones and sugar for your brain. And it also really helps to just to fire those nerves. It keeps you going. So taking your pre-workout supplements with carnitine, choline, load them up with herbs and that sort of stuff, massive amounts of polyphenols, and then basically doing your exercise, maintaining your posture, making sure that you're thinking nice things, looking for that eureka moment because that's how we get our dopamine anyway, by yelling out things like eureka when we make a discovery. I do that all the time. I used to, and I text people middle of the night, Eureka. And then when they wake up, they're like, what was it? I said, I don't know. I can't remember. I was able to, if I texted someone, you'd remind me. <laughs> it's funny, Matt. Back in the day when you first released, you know, the gut right formula, for me, that was such a, it was probably the most incredible formula just based on the way that you explained what the product does and how it works. Do you want to, because I don't doubt many of my listeners even know what that term mod biotic means, but can you just talk about that? Yeah, no. Well, suck at marketing, uh, trademark at keeping the secret <laughs> um, of the word, trying to further develop it basically to get a, the science portfolio around it. But what, what, what I noticed with the naturopath clinic and in my experience treating people, most people have an overgrowth of bacteria. Very few people had deficiencies of certain microbes. You could have definitely strain-specific deficiencies that you could benefit from supplementing and that sort of stuff. And in most cases, that was because of an overgrowth of something else, you know. So, And people use words like SIBO, but that, which stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You know, dysbiosis is an overgrowth. Then we look at candidiasis as an overgrowth, clostridium overgrowth, all these Klebsiella overgrowth. It just keeps going. They're all bloody overgrowth. And what I noticed is we're always taught to have this you know, varied diet. We get taught to have a specific diet, you know, whether it's a FODMAP or a lectins, you know, whatever. That changes all the time. But we don't change it enough with the seasons. And so what happens is our gut, you know, a very important part of our evolution was our synergistic relationship with our environment through the microbiome. Those things are designed to live through feast and famine. They're designed to, you know, have a fruit season. They're also designed for you to be relatively local. You know, they're not expecting you to be able to fly all over the place between meals, let alone fly those foods to you. You know, so we would normally eat what is in on the trees in our local area until it's gone and then wait for it to come back, you know. So the problem is, is we now can eat like a, eat the same fruit all year round. You can get into the habit of eating the same foods every day. So you can have a, a balanced diet but not a varied diet. Now, if we consider that polyphenols, that are there. So polyphenols, you know, we talk and these modbiotic compounds. So these polyphenols are the compounds of the poisons inside the in the leaves, the outer leaves, fruit, veget. They're designed to protect the plant from bugs, just like when we eat them. They're designed to protect our own guts from an overgrowth of bugs and stop all the bugs from overeating sugar. Because it's these bugs that are making too many compounds, the wrong type of compounds. They'll steal your tryptophan. You know, like if you have a look at the you know, things like this, man, neurotransmitters. I go, right, so I want to talk to you about supplementation. You go and take tryptophan, for example. They're little buggers. They like that they feed on vitamin B3 and that sort of stuff. They need it. So they steal your tryptophan, take it down this and pathways to make vitamin B3, and it does that via these quinolinic acids. So you imagine that simple process where tryptophan supposed to be given a serotonin to make us feel content, relaxed, you know, calm down our body movements. Instead, it goes down a different pathway because the bugs want it, and they take it down a quinolinic acid pathway that causes you to be shaky, tremory, panic, and anxiety. You know, the same thing with the tyrosine through cresol. They can be making this bloody cresol stuff that totally screws with your ability for tyrosine to go down the noradrenaline dopamine pathways via phenylalanine. And instead, it's just hijacked because of the bugs want it. So when we have an overgrowth of bugs, consider the way they overgrow it. They overgrow by competitive exclusion themselves. And we taught this about why probiotics are good. Competitive exclusion will stop overgrowth, you know. So, But when they're already in there, then like you imagine the bugs that love to feed on sugar. The way they get more sugar is by releasing chemicals to stop the cells near them getting sugar by creating insulin resistance in the neighboring cells. Now, if I can measure those chemicals in your urine, then we know it's not all through your body. You know, so you've basically 
your microbiome can be screwing around with your inflammation. Your immune system doesn't care if it's good or bad. It's going to smash an overgrowth. So they'll change your hormones, your neurotransmitters, totally change your metabolism. Hey, I lost 30 kilos this year. And the way I did it, I changed my microbiome because I went and tested it all through different mechanisms. And my gut, they always said it was excellent, you know, really good. I did the, the microbe test. I found that 25% of the gut was all one strain of bug, an overgrowth of what a Prevotella, actually, relatively good one, you know. But for me, it was screwing around my tablets. I wanted to kill that bastard off, get rid of him, you know, lose the 30 kilos. Totally changes appetite, totally changes brain chemistry, totally changes absolutely everything just by changing your gut. All of a sudden, the calorie yield, you know, to think that you could have a 20% difference in calorie yield just based on your ratios between firmicutes and bacteriodoides. And here we are trying to measure in calories, but the 20% difference just by your microbial makeup. Plus, they make a lot of nutrients. They make a lot of this stuff, but they also hijack it. So if we don't have our gut microbiome under control, then they will be controlling us. And they control us by making us crave the foods they like. They screw around with our metabolism. They steal our nutrients. And they're supposed to be our friends, Lucas, but they're not. No, <laughs> no they are. They are. They're, they're just if you get the wrong ones in there, they can be really quite problematic. And they, they can be the big reason why one man's medicine is another man's poison. They can be the big reason why when you eat a calories the same as the next person, you seem to be liberating more and burning less. You know, they're so, they change your brain chemistry, they change your hormone profile. So, and usually that's from an overgrowth and the overgrowth comes from inadequate polyphenols. So we all talk about our lack of vitamins in our foods due to farming processes, talk about all that sort of stuff, but very few people talk about the lack of polyphenols that come from not eating local and fresh I think it's 80% reduction in the polyphenols that are actually there within two weeks. So unless you eat it within two weeks. Now, I pick stuff off my trees here at home and I sit on my bench for two weeks still sometimes, you know. So, you know, they reduce so much. And when you do the gardening and you see the difference in it, and, you know, we're talking about right at the start how when we compound the herbs and then when you get them and you get a fresh herb and make it herbal teas and all that sort of stuff, and then I'm doing the different extraction techniques, and then even the same material as it ages, it just changes. So you've got to get that understanding through that. You know, it's also interesting when it comes to um, herbal extracts and I guess the way that they're standardized and things. I'll quickly share my experience with um, St. John's wort. Oh, yeah. I've gone through a range of different types of like St. John's wort extracts so, and just, just to experiment, see how they make me feel. And there seems to be only one type that elicits a really noticeable positive effect on like mood, energy, motivation. It's that Remotive, Remotive brand by Flautus. Yep, yep. And I was, you know, I've gone to the point where I'm like, what is it about this extract that's eliciting this effect? Is it the standardization for that hypericin or like, do you want to explain the importance of like, yeah, standardization and extracts? Yeah, well, standardization is interesting because we need a marker just to compare things. Um, so, yeah, and, they, and ideally we'd have a lot of markers, you know, like a fingerprint almost, so we can compare all of those different parameters. But typically they'll pick one or two markers, you know, what they believe to be the active ingredient or maybe not even the active, just something that they're capable of measuring. They understand a little bit. But the problem is, is then when they talk about those markers, they make the bloody things famous. Um, but they're just one compound. Just one compound. This is the thing with natural medicine that is not drugs. They have all sorts of compounds, and those compounds can change from season to season. They change all the bloody time and to change depending on the ratios of microbiome and all that sort of stuff. You know, I keep going back to these gut bugs all the time, but um, what you'll find is with these markers of standardisation, the problem is, is what happens is they gather all this data, talking about St. John's wort, hypericum and they'll go through and say that it comes from this hypericin purely because it was standardized to that then next thing you know we've got these people that are either capable of synthesizing that active ingredient or extracting exclusively that and throwing the rest away 
or not even throwing the rest away, probably selling it. You know what I mean? So what you'll find happening is then next thing you know, you buy a bloody sawdust spiked with a particular chemical and it's taken away from everything else that was possibly helping it to work. And you'll see it all the time. They argue over and over and over again what the active ingredient is. And it's all because of these confusing markers of standardisation. It was terrible with vitamins because they, they managed to create these forms of vitamins that didn't even exist in nature. And then they made them famous. And then that's what people were looking for. But nature knows best. But even you'll find St. John's Wort found in different locations, different stages of the season. It's going to be totally different compounds. And so ideally what you want to do is be finding out when it was harvested, when it was made, you know, what other. Oh, Tonkat Ali, for example. I love Tonkat Ali, but it's, it's a lot of people dodgy it up. You know, it's not real good in most cases. We actually had to, when I was uh, with ATP, we actually took rootstock sample and sent it down because once we found stuff that worked, we were so scared that they were going to switch it over to something else that we actually had to get the rootstock samples sent to uh, Southern Cross Plant Sciences are really cool if you ever want to do any study, and they're great guys. We send it down there and they create like a fingerprint that shows our particular material from our farm. And that way, if we didn't get our material from our farm that met like a fingerprint profile, not just one active ingredient, then we wouldn't touch it. There's a lot of other trademark material out there, like the science on it is brilliant, but that's not what you're always buying because they've chosen one active ingredient. I don't want to name ingredients. KSM 66. No, 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 delete that. No, don't do it. No, say, no, 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 that's sort of shit. Um, I was no, no. I was no, 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 they're fine. It's just that you get inconsistent results. Oh, there's some worse. Shilajit was worse. Yeah. Because they would go through, you know, Shilajit comes out as the ground as like 0.5, you know, 0.5% fulvic acid, for example. And the rest of it is oh, all sorts of um, urolithins, postbiotic compounds, polysaccharide, oh, amazing stuff. Other benzopyrene compounds, really amazing things. But because fulvic acid is the marker of standardisation, they'll actually go through and extract the fulvic acid and the fulvate minerals. And then what they'll do is they'll take that and just add it to sawdust. So they'll go and make 0.5% fulvates right up to like 80% fulvates. And then they'll go and take the 80% fulvates and add it to like sand or sawdust to make it back down to 0.5 and sell it to you as shilajit. In the meantime, they've gone through and changed it over and over and over again. So Having shilajit was one of the harder ones as well because we need to look for the epigallic and gallate catechins or whatever you want to call bloody elagitenins is probably the umbrella term for them. You want to measure elagitenins, elagic acids. You want to measure the urolithins that are generated from that. You want to get the polysaccharide, all of that sort of stuff. And then the last thing that you measure is the fulvic acid just to make sure that it's still dirt and not a plant compound. Then they just flip the whole bloody thing. And then we're so confused trying to work out where, what's going on. And that same thing with when we found a shilajit that actually worked, we secured that part of the, the hill to make sure that we would get you know, that same material consistently. But even then, we still had multiple mechanisms of measuring stuff. Mm. And there's ways of loopholes. Like you've seen that that St. John's Wort you mentioned, you know, with that, Florida's has some great products, by the way. They, and I don't know if you'll notice, but they often significantly lower doses to competitive products. Um, yeah. They'll be yielding a lot less of the active per capsule compared to everyone else, yet it works significantly better because they'll use an actual plant extract rather than just getting something that's sawdust standardised to an active ingredient that they then throw in just to hit those numbers. Mm, it's incredible. The other thing that you're really well known for, Matt, I guess, is um, your creativity in terms of administering you know, application yeah. herbs like topical creams, things like that. So, do you want to talk about some things you've done over the years there? Yeah, well, yeah, well, that, that was a cool thing about starting off in a naturopath clinic is and doing the, our own compounding is that we just force stuff to work one way or the other. We used to make those cosmetic products, and that TJ took them off off us now. But you know, the way I originally made those in my naturopath clinic was wild. I used to actually boil it up as tea and then I'd soak towels, wet towels in this stuff and then 
wrap the people's legs up and then you know elect hook them up to an electrical current basically through this microcurrent machine and the, the prosian could call it iontophoresis was the flash word for it but it's basically electrocutive to force the herbs in through the skin to get to the subcutaneous tissue and that was kind of cool until we worked out how to actually just utilize hair follicles and certain ingredients that made it work better and it's interesting because another example of what you talked about before they did studies with guarana where they had guarana as a herb with caffeine and they compared it just straight to caffeine and the the herbal one worked better you know than the active even though it was significantly stronger um same thing with coleus for scoli for scolan by itself didn't work as well as for scolan when it's combined in with coleus so you just find synergy in nature that you just can't recreate in a lab so yeah delivery formats um the other thing that I was very passionate about was understanding you would have seen a lot of this data now talking about you know carbohydrate or caffeine rinses you know like we have this ability just to swish stuff in around our mouth and work on these receptors that tell our body something's going to happen and then spit it out and it still works and yeah uh, it just spins me out that and I I got caught up for a while there with looking at PPA receptors and all that sort of stuff that they're basically telling our body what's coming in is it oil is it carbohydrate are we going to be burning ketones we're burning fat what's going on here or we got nothing coming in we're just panting out carbon you know and that'll totally change your your priorities so that's when i started making i think it was one of the first actually to make what they call now as a new category which is a lipid enriched beverage you know so we just did the oil bases because trying to avoid the starchy compounds even the artificial sweeteners a lot of those sort of things were having effects through PPA receptors and altering the microbiome so trying to if i want the body to burn oil then we use oil if you want the body burning carbs and we used carbs that sort of stuff got really kind of exciting for me so yeah well, transdermal yep you're talking about amv right the yeah 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 amv was cool because no one had ever done that before and it was looking at a lot of these PPA receptors and man makes massive effects hey just changing the way these oils can change the priorities within the body but they don't work if you screw around with it and throw the carbs in as well sort of thing you know what i mean so it's like trying to be really strategic with it but then you can actually make the carb work if you actually load up you know, with the right polyphenols and that sort of stuff and it's all a matter of understanding the individual and your personal goals like for example you know we're talking about TMAO before you know carnitine makes TMAO and the polyphenols can stop that from happening the other thing that's probably more effective at stopping that from happening is sugar do you see that so it messes with my brain because i saw a paper i was at anthony omara did a paper years ago showing that if you take carnitine with sugar that it increased carnitine in the muscles better and that really bugged me because i thought oh maybe it's because the sugar's stopping the fat burning you know carnitine pumptal transfer is not going to work and therefore we're going to get more carnitine and that was the main mechanism i thought is that it's basically by eating sugars you know you're not using the carnitine as much but really interesting to see that if you take sugar with carnitine the bacteria prefer to use the sugar as fuel than they do the carnitine so you get less tmo they basically leave the carnitine alone because they're too busy eating sugar yeah and then, so it's just yeah so every time i think we know something we just got to change and realize that we're still learning and then you're going to get an individual that's going to prove us all wrong anyway and they come through with a totally different epigenetic expression sort of thing you know, i forgot your question now it's just waffling no what what i was going to say maddie is um actually there's a new i don't know if you've seen it recently the um turkesterone oh yeah yeah I think you were one of the earliest to ever use was ectosteroids. Yeah, 20 hydroxy ectosterone. I love that stuff. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Cuz a lot of people used to ask about that. Was it the Google steroids and then the uh, Turkesterone? I never know how to say these things really by the way. I just read them. But um oh my favorite's the 20 hydroxy ectosterone. The the research on that is phenomenal. It's excellent. It is a natural component that we found in what 5% of plants on earth. 
it's brilliant stuff. It stimulates muscle growth. It's, in fact, it was, and I love the stories of these things, you know, because they discovered that insects, when they're trying to grow new shells, they would actually seek out and only eat exclusively the outside part of the plants and then ignore the middle. And that's where they were getting all these sterone compounds from. Because remember, sterone's like waxy kind of compounds. They accumulate in the other leaves to stop you know, water loss and that sort of stuff. But also it's, the bugs love it and it helps them to grow. Then they found out it can help them stimulate protein synthesis in insects by, what, 20%, I think it was. And when they gave it to humans, it did it by 14% as well. And that was the same as bloody Dianobol at the time was the, the closest. And so those 20-hydroxyacbisterone, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but originally the, the data on its pharmacokinetics, we didn't have a great deal of understanding of its bioavailability when we take it orally because I had data that was showing that in one paper it lasts 30 minutes and another one we're looking at four or five hours. It was quite hard. But at the time, I was doing a lot of work in bioidentical hormones. I was working with a lot of doctors that were using testosterone creams, progesterone creams. And I was used to make up a lot of creams, Chrysan cream and that sort of stuff that we would use you know, for the man boobs in amongst those protocols. And that's when we start to do a lot more research into transdermal penetration of these things and understanding molecular weight. And when you actually see that, I think turcosterone, I'm not sure molecular weight should be pretty bloody similar, but I know with the 20-hydroxyectosterone, it was sitting right between um, progesterone and testosterone, which had, you know, really good understanding of their molecular structure and their, their movement through the skin, very similar structure, very similar molecular mass and that sort of stuff. So they work the same sort of way. And there were some really cool papers showing that if we can saturate the tissues with them, then we can stimulate significant growth and, and other weird shit like activating fat burning and everything else, which was kind of cool. But yeah, but they do work orally as well. Just a matter of trying to understand the complex nature and back to what we we're talking about earlier, the main difference that they worked out between the bioavailability, whether it's 45 minutes or four or five hours, was to do with its natural form or synthetic. And with the natural ones having a superior bell curve with a more time for action. And the best ones was like quinoas and that sort of stuff, which are naturally found in, but are very low concentrations. Mm. Yeah, yeah so. it's really, really fascinating, that sort of stuff. I do want to flip gears a little bit, man, and sort of discuss around um, what you've seen in clinic, you know, with patients describing that um, the symptom picture and the patient healing journey. Yeah, yeah, man. So symptom pictures I love. So basically what I'm talking about when I say symptom picture is just, yeah, those combination of symptoms because that is the most important thing for genetic expression. And there's no point getting a blood test or doing any other form of pathology unless we understand how those objective measurements link into the subjective feelings of the person. But we can also then to, to plot the if they're heading in the right direction with their health journey because I, I do believe there is a bit of a hierarchy of health, you know, so... I always make sure I go through and have a look at gut aspects and that sort of stuff, the bio barrier, physical barrier, and then look immediately beyond that, which will be immune profile, how's the liver working with first phase, metabolism, pharmacodynamics, blah, blah, blah. All that sort of stuff influences your priorities. In amongst all that, you've got to throw in your posture, got to throw in your music and your mental attitude and and all that sort of stuff. Are you capable of choosing your attitude? You know, and throw all that into your first line of defense before I'd notice that we start to get imbalances through to the hormonal neurotransmitters and everything else. So it's really weird. I didn't think I had a system because for years I used to just create these weird ass mind maps. So, and I, I thought I was doing it because I was nervous of people reading over my shoulder, you know, or something, you know, because I had my weird form of shorthand. And that sort of stuff. But I realized over time that I was creating the same diagram over and over again. And as I'm doing it, I'm recreating this mind map out of the symptom picture. And um, and it's really cool because now I'm almost at the ability where I can teach that to others. And it's really cool because I now give that as a tool to people to monitor their own progress. So, you know, they can know when they're heading in the right direction, know when they're getting worse, know when they need to go in and for a more aggressive or where we just need to go back and tweak things slightly because... It's all about helping people to help themselves ultimately. 
I can't hold someone's health for ransom, you know, like make them come back while I talk to them about their symptom, symptoms and they're capable of doing it themselves, you know. So I think that's fascinating and really bloody important. And actually that's what I'm loving because now I'm back in the clinic, hey, so I'm doing clinic work again now and absolutely love it because I'm going through, you know, through these symptom pictures, we're doing the pathologies, I'm remembering little bits and pieces of stuff that I'd forgotten that we needed to add in, you know. I find I use a lot of glutathione and that sort of stuff these days that I didn't have as part of my product range, which I would have needed, you know. So I find that really fun. I'm really, really bloody enjoying it uh, getting back in because I'm getting back into that detective work. I've only taken on a couple of clients. I'm only doing it a couple of days a week because it's like fun. Now I'm staying up at night, get back into my, you know, mind maps and, my eureka moments again and making discoveries you know like 20 something years later just found a new love of the whole thing again getting all fired up <laughs> so i've got to start doing my podcast again um <laughs> one day <laughs> so you're my first guy back you know uh, i've been waiting i had to make sure that you got the exclusive oh, <laughs> i respect that it's Jeff's funny. pissed <laughs> it's funny matt even with uh patient healing journey as well like clients forget where they're at like they they forget where they were i remember you talking about this you know Mm. no they do man i sit there go come and go oh like every day i wet the bed or i got a headache but this is ruining my life you know like the fire the fire the pain you know you gotta it's like this full-on dramatic sort of stuff and then they come back a week later and you go how do you feel they go not too much different and i was like oh really and i'll go through their case their symptoms, this is why I collect a lot of the symptoms and with a lot of quotation marks, you know, like you said, <laughs> I hate it when people do that, you said this, and I was like, so I'll go back to them, you said. So anyway, and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I haven't had a headache since I came. Oh, yeah, I'm sleeping better. Oh, a lot more energy, yeah. And, and then you go, okay, so what do you, what do you judge in your success of the treatment on? What is the symptom that hasn't fixed yet? It's usually fatigue. Usually people go, oh, I'm still feeling tired, you know, or I'm not euphoric or anything yet. Um, You know, so you'll find these people will forget how bad they felt and be but often focusing on stuff. That's why also with my clinic now, because I'm not so rushed and everything with it, I tell people to write your story. I said, write it like a novel. I can read faster than you talk anyway. So just send it through so we can, I can get a good understanding. And I love it when I see people send it through because their intuition, they've done their own research. I love it when people actually share their thoughts, beliefs and theories with me because they're usually like pretty bloody close, maybe using the wrong words or, you know, might be switched around a little bit. They might be a little bit biased and just need a bit of guidance. But a lot of people are really bloody smart and it really bugs the hell out of me when I hear these people's stories, how they've been going to see all of these experts everywhere that have never let them tell them their story. And you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what the hell they're doing then because it, you're there, you are the story. And that's when I realised that not many people are out there are treating people. They tend to treat diseases or they treat a syndrome or something like that. And it's weird, especially things like PCOS, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm trying to explain to these people that it's a syndrome. You know, break any one of these symptom patterns and the, the diagnosis disappears. You know, it's like there's so many of these things like that that these people are really struggling to get any sort of help because no one wants to talk through their symptoms. And without the symptoms, you can't understand genetic expression. I don't care what your genes are. I just want to know what's actually happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Steve, I had a great mate of mine, Steve, has got one of my favourite sayings where he said, but the specialists, they tend to know more and more about less and less until they know everything about nothing. Um, we need to be more generalist. You've got to go out. You've got to include more and more things and probably, and that's why I tend to kind of, I don't get as caught up in the details anymore. I like to go back and conceptually and have a look at the big picture mm-hmm. and see where the problems might be coming in because you can't, you can't exclude certain aspects of the lifestyle, you know. Yeah. The other side to that, Maddie, is... Um just the the therapeutic relationship, just having someone listen. Whereas, you know, like most doctors spend how long? Maybe five, 10 minutes. Whereas as a naturopath like yourself, you're there listening to their story. And part of that healing 
is maybe less so about the actual prescription, but actually just being there, listening to them, paraphrasing, and just showing that you care about their health. Yeah. I used to think it was kind of wanky, like as an ego stroke and thing, that I could explain someone's symptoms through biochemistry. Yeah. And so I used to do it thinking, oh, I'm so smart, you know, I can explain big words and show them why they feel this way. And then I was thinking, then I started thinking I was a bit wanky, uh, uh, yeah, a bit egotistical. I, I kind of stopped doing that as much. But I've gone, that's a very important tool. People want to know that they're not going crazy, that you've listened to their symptom picture. And the worst thing, some people think that they're breaking, they're falling apart because I've got a symptom all over the place, you know. But when we actually break down those symptoms and show how they can be connected, how we might have maybe one, two, three common imbalances that are manifesting all of those different symptoms or at least 80% of them. You know, once we show people that we've collected your symptoms, we've listened, we've made significant change because you may see now 80% of these symptoms have just disappeared. And now we're down to the bottom, you know, getting into the nitty gritty. Without that discussion, people don't understand it. And then what you can do is through explaining those symptom picture using biochemistry, it helps us to explain what our plan of attack is moving forward. If I haven't explained to you why you feel this way, then you're not going to understand why I want you to take this horrible tasting bloody herb or rub in this cream or something to change that symptom and why it's so damn important and why it's important to do all of it, not just pick and choose, you know. And also why you can understand then that you might be taking the tablets because they're easy, but you may not have been doing the diet, you may not have been, you know, thinking about exercise, you may not be getting enough lactic acid made up. You know, like, say, so I need to explain the whole picture to people so that they understand they're not broken, for starters, they're actually bodies, this is their adaptation to something going on and that makes them strong. Symptoms are s- signals of strength in my opinion, in most cases, not signals of weakness. They're there to tell us what your body's currently doing and looking at as a priority, which gives us a chance to actually go back and fix that bloody thing, you know? And ultimately, you know for a fact that we don't fix anything. Herbs don't fix anything. People fix themselves, and that needs to be holistic. So part of that, they need to believe in it, and the only way to believe in it is to bloody understand it, unless I come in and say, just do what I do what I say or I'll take something away from you. That's so so well said and so it's so relevant even right now in the current environment that we're in. Yeah, the ability to actually understand your own condition or understand your symptoms can actually reduce a lot of the burden or the stress of actually having the symptoms themselves, like actually yeah. understanding. Especially in amongst it, you know, you have a look at uh, what's, like panic attacks, a classic example, like there's, I can think of three or four different types of panic attacks now that don't actually link to brain chemistry. They don't, I mean, they're not directly linked to antidepressant deficiency. You know what I mean? So, you know, you could look at their lactic acid style where they're, they're too busy panting. They've got to pant out the acid. They get the tightness in the muscles. They get the tightness in the chest. They'll get the sweating. Their brain will go stupid. They're too busy trying to pant out that they can't take in the deep breath. And that comes with tachycardia and muscle tension and tightness. That sounds like a panic attack. And then you get the same thing with vestibular injury. You know, you get these people that have got an old inner ear problem that might have come from a car accident that they've now called PTSD, or it might have come from an ear infection or something, or just structurally their neck might be out, you know. But the same thing is the brain's collecting data. It doesn't know where you are in space and time. That can trigger an immediate panic attack. But I would treat your ear to fix that. And I would see that you can't track when I do my fingers, your vestibular injury, you can't do this. You won't be able to close your eyes and balance on one leg. And you may even tell me that sometimes you wake with panic attacks, especially when your feet are off the ground, your eyes are closed and everything's dark. And then you might tell me that you're really clumsy in the dark as well, which adds to your panic. And then I go, oh man, that's your ear. That's not even brain chemistry. Then we might, yeah, so we might be able to go through and that lactic acid or the acid type of anxiety, uh, then we can go through and find out that you maybe you're anemic, you know, or maybe there's this, maybe your body thinks you're bleeding to death because you, you, you're too, so low in blood. You know, you know, there's so many different manifestations. You know, I'm, as your adrenal 
sympathetic nervous system overactive or is our adrenal cortex not capable of switching it off? Yeah. So this same exact same symptom that might be diagnosed as a word and then treated with a particular strategy, that could be so different every time. Now, for most of those cases, the explanation around that is adequate enough to break the cycle. They're like, oh, cool. I'm not actually panicked. I got a funny ear. And if I do a, uh, some ways of just kind of understanding it, oh, classic examples, posture ones, man, because these people get caught into the posture. And then all of a sudden you've got these people manifesting a feeling of anxiety and panic. And I've told them that if it's a posture thing, your traps will be up, your head goes forward, you're on the balls of your feet ready to launch. And I tell them that if you feel that, we want to ground. Okay, we'll talk about grounding. You know, I might do it all hippie too if it's a real hippie person. Or I might do it really scientific if it's a science guy. Or I may say, put your heels on the ground, force your heels into the ground to activate your adductors and your hamstrings and get off the balls of your feet so that way we can totally change your centre of gravity so you change change your whole nervous system by pushing your heels into the ground. I don't care if you call that grounding, calibrating, adductor activation, posterior chain activation. It depends on whatever language you choose. But the process of feeling like you're about to run off an attack and you're about to have a panic attack, and then all of a sudden your focus changes from your brain going, what's my immediate danger? What's my stress? Is it these people? And because you'll always attack who's closest, which is usually family and loved ones or work, you know. And so basically all of a sudden these people go, oh, it wasn't them at all. It was me. I've got to put my heels on the ground. And then, I, oh, look at my traps. I've got to drop my traps. I'm frowning again, and I've got to do that. All of a sudden, your brain has totally gone away from having an anxiety panic attack associated with being in a shopping centre or traffic or, you know, like whatever you're looking around blaming and going, oh, there is things that are happening in me right now that I can control. I'm in an environment and in a world that I can't control. And in that very moment, you can break that cycle by calibrating your body in a protective mode, even when you're surrounded by stress. Because you can tell your brain that you're not actually under life-threatening stress. And look, I'll prove it to you. I'm on my heels and I'm not on my toes, you know. And it's like changes absolutely everything. And there's no treatment there. There's no supplements. There's nothing. And even if I was loading you up on supplements and taking all that sort of stuff, if your body was choosing to go down to that survival pathway, then that's the way it's going to hijack all of this stuff. And over time, it may even recruit our microbiome to help us to do that. Might be, our microbiome might be our fault as well, you know, but all of it's just about understanding ourselves, understanding the nature of the beast, and then just kind of working out ways of breaking cycles one way or the other. Mm, yeah. Just incredible, incredible to see. I love the fact that, you, you you know, now you're sort of linking in all those different aspects you've learned over so many years of diving into practical therapy, like, you know, clinic in clinic and even now with the research. But I'm curious to know, Maddie, like what are some of the future areas of research that's like really exciting you at the moment? Like, oh, it- no, I'm going to get shot for saying this because <laughs> um, this is why they don't let me talk to people. Because people ask me questions like that, like what's next? And I want time to tell you everything, and I will probably anyway. Because the problem is is whether the regulators are going to let us do any of it. We're really struggling at the moment with the regulators globally. It's not just Australia. Do you see things like N-acetylcysteine after these years being there? They're just taking the bloody thing off because they know it helps people, you know? So my my things that I'm obsessed with at the moment, of course, the microbiome, there's so much still to learn. But I believe the next big frontier has to be interstitial fluid. It has to be extracellular spaces. Moving into the lymphatic system, we're going to move from mucosal immunity to malt and gulp. You know, the mucosal associated lymphoid tissue, and that links to all. So we, we know so much about inside our cells, we know so much about our bloodstream. And we know about these other water and fluid compartments. But in regards to what's actually happening in that void between our circulation and our cells, that's where most of the magic happens. I mean, that's where 
all of our fluid and base balance. That's where acid and base, you know, pH. This is where nutrients this is where most of the immune activity is occurring. You know, when they talk about 80% of your immune systems in your gut, that's in the malt and the gold. That's in the lymphoid tissue of your gut. And that's linking. So I think that's really important. And that will link into the glymphatic system, which is the lymphatic system through the brain, which I think is amazing because to know that our brain water increases by 60% at night when we're sleeping and that the the only way I can do that because our skull can't increase is by squishing the brain. You know, so when we're asleep at night, we get all this, it's like a sponge. It's just like squeezing all the stuff out of the sponge and then letting it puff back up full of water, just squishing it. And it does that when we sleep. I also still thinking there's a lot more to learn about things that we know a lot about, like creatine. I got really excited about creatine for the brain, especially when I knew that creatine is essential for the brain but can't cross past the blood-brain barrier. And then I started looking at things like GAA, you know, guanadineo acetic acid. It needs to get methylated to make ATP. So GAA gets methylated to make creatine. And now it goes back to link into methylation disorders again and how, oh, with a methylation polymorphism, you can't actually make creatine in the brain. And without that, you can't get ATP in the brain. And without that, you can't even hydrate your brain. You know what I mean? It's like it starts to screw with me, but I get all excited about it. Plus, with my friends that I've made through my interest in the microbiome, I'm really fascinated by understanding more what happens when we take these supplements into a normal gut and let it do its thing with the microbiome rather than trying to bypass that to make it more bioavailable, you know? And then that gets me, I got all caught up trying to make customized shilajit as well, because once I realized that shilajit was plant material rotten by micro, it was like pre-digested awesome stuff, you know? And then I realized that I could actually recreate that. I could make it consistent and customized. If I start with the right plant materials, I get a good understanding of microbiome and minerals, all the different substrates and activators, factors. You know, imagine the possibilities of what we could do now we understand all of this sort of stuff. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I think the lymphatic system is going to be extremely important, again, with the current environment, with everyone talking about immune and everything like that, the lymphatics. And even a lot of people don't realise, you know, we, I'm not sure, we talked earlier about the Olympia and, you know, how the diuretics and that sort of stuff have been problematic for certain industries. And diuretics have always been a way of using to maintain body composition through fluid retention. But if we consider that most of that fluid we're talking about is going to be lymphatic, then there's a massive opportunity for us to be looking at lymphatic system to see how that influences all those things. So we're not just constantly doing, you know, diuretics and that sort of stuff. So, oh man, all, all that sort of stuff excites me <laughs> so much as well. Like, yeah. just the way you sort of link in so many different aspects of, you know, the human body. It's it is it's fun. Like I know why now you're back doing what you're doing here. Like, <laughs> it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, the funny thing is we made ATP because I was pretty much, I was told I was an employer too. So it's like I just wanted to be able to get someone to pay my bills while I just go crazy and just research and not actually have to take that money off sick people, <laughs> you know, especially if I didn't care that much. But, you know, so I, I love it. And I'm, I'm so stoked that I could get back into the podcasting and I'll do them bit more regularly if you need a regular guest let me know i'll keep you up to date of all the cool oh, stuff we discover so sure, i'm sure i'll get you back on because I'm, I'm probably going to get a, a thousand emails after this podcast saying who's that matt leg guy he's, he's awesome <laughs> oh i hope so that'll be nice yeah it's always good to straight there you go <laughs> of course so maddie if my listeners want to you know connect closely with you where can they find you at the moment mattleg.com i couldn't think of anything else <laughs> so I have a webpage, mattleg.com, and legs about L-E-G-G-E. And a double T for Matt. I'm not one of those other single. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, awesome. so just mattleg.com. I mean, that's pretty boring. My email is matt at mattleg.com. <laughs> I'm going to get a business card with a picture of me saying, and this is Matt. <laughs> and then I've got it covered. <laughs> 
That's so good. Well, I'll be sure to leave those linked in the show notes. But uh, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I've been. Oh, my pleasure. That's awesome. Thank, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.